The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I've got visions in my head. People tell me that I'm crazy. I tell them that's exactly it. I've got reasons for my absence. People tell me that I'll burn out. Hi guys, welcome back to the I Love You So Much podcast. I am your host, Kenzie Elizabeth. Welcome to our fifth episode of the month, our book club episode. These are my personal faves. I love how many of you guys have been reading along with us, have just been joining the book club. It's really never too late. These episodes, as a reminder, are always up. So you guys are always able to read the books, go back and listen, or you guys can pause, read the book. Honestly, you are fine listening to this regardless of if you read or not. We have Brooke from Gals on the Go on today, and I'm very excited. But before we even get into the book, I wanted to talk about a little thing called adulting, okay? I I really just feel like my my almost my calling in life is to become like essentially like Cameron Diaz from The Holiday, like that sort of vibe, okay? That is my all-time favorite movie. And conveniently on my last Revolve order, I ordered only things that Cameron Diaz would wear in the movie The Holiday. And I think that is my new style. Yes, I'm still wearing sweatpants all the time. Ignore that, okay? That is a fluke. The other things, not a fluke, okay? I got all these new sets. I'm feeling very cute, very sophisticated. Cute actually is not the right word. I feel very sophisticated. I feel like I'm becoming more mature. I'm dressing more mature. And I'm really kind of into it, guys. I can't lie to you. But also, there's just been a lot of other adulting things lately. Like today, I'm going to go car shopping, which would normally not sound that fun to me, but I want a new car. So I am really absolutely over the moon. This morning, I went to the dry cleaners. I picked up one of my dogs from the groomers. I I took him there as well. He didn't walk himself. You know, I just feel like I'm going to therapy weekly, which I mean, that's not new as we know, but I don't know. I just feel like I'm really growing up. I feel like I'm very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I become more introspective, if you will. I'm also so sore. I can barely move. I took literally two weeks off of working out after two years of consistently working out. And you would think I've never seen a gym before. I am so sore. Granted, I did like Pilates stuff and that makes you sore in places that you didn't even know you could be sore in in your body. Slash places you didn't even know existed. Like even laying in bed, guys, this morning when I was trying to like sit up, it is so painful. I'm not proud, okay? I'm also drinking kombucha. I mean, like maybe these are things in my daily life. But now that I've decided that I am changing my style to Cameron Diaz from the holiday. And I've officially made this decision. I also want to say tis the season. Okay. My Christmas tree is going up. Let's see. This goes up Monday, the 26th. My Christmas tree will be up in a week. Okay. Happy Halloween to all of you guys. Um, If any of you give me hate and decide to be the Grinch, I just want to remind you that 2020 has been quite the year and, and we all deserve some extended periods of joy in our lives this year. Does my tree always go up before Thanksgiving and normally the first week of November, mostly on November 1st? Regardless, yes, it does, okay? But this year, I, I'm i just anticipating getting absolutely no hate for this because I just feel as though it's really important and Christmas time is the best time of the year. It is just the coziest time. Nothing makes me happier than the holiday season. I'm already working on gift guides, guys. Like, just lay off, okay? Anyways, getting into some good old housekeeping that I'm sure you guys love listening to. First things first, I just completed another vlog week. So there are five new vlogs up on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Kenzie Elizabeth. If any of you guys are interested in 
coming along with me car shopping. Um, check it out because I'm vlogging that experience. Also, we have a newsletter. It's super fun. I share all my favorite reads, listens, follows, products, books, all of that stuff, guys. It's all in that in that newsletter that you get once a week. I don't spam your inbox. It's super fun. Trust me. I actually am thinking about doing gift guides that way this year because I don't have a vlog. I almost said I don't have a vlog. I do have a vlog. I don't have a blog. So I feel like a newsletter might even be better for that. And maybe I could do them weekly or something. You guys let me know what you want. Okay. Also, subscribe to this podcast. Leave a nice rating, a nice review. Podcast reviews are what I imagine hell to be. So if we can get some positivity in there, I would really appreciate it. Last thing, text this podcast to a friend, guys. Okay, if you like it, send it to a friend. Have listening parties. Is that even a thing with the podcast? I really don't know. Another thing, this is actually the last thing. For our next book club, if you guys are not aware with how these are structured, basically we choose one book to read as a community a month and then we read alongside with another guest. So this week or this month, we read um, The Vanishing Half by Brett Bennett with Brooke from Gals on the Go, who's a great friend of mine. We've been friends for, I want to say eight years now, since we were like 16, 15, 16 years old, I want to say. Yeah. And we're 23 now. So we have been friends for quite some time. We, I love her. We talk all the time and we've done so many trips together. You guys have seen all of our stuff. I'm sure if you follow our, either of us, maybe you guys have seen us together. The first month that we read with one of my hometown best friends, Sav, we read Midnight Sun, which is Twilight from Edward's perspective. Second month, we read with Maddie from OK Sis, The Comeback. That one was really good. This month, you guys already know. Next month, I need you guys to head on over to our Instagram, the ILYSM podcast, and comment on our Instagram who we should read with and what we should read. And then I will be announcing it in our next podcast and on the Instagram. So be sure to follow over there and join the Facebook group because that's really where we're having conversations about this book. And I I just have a lot to say. So anyways, without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Little adulting, little book club. That's another thing, guys. I'm literally about to record a book club podcast. My favorite nights that I do, I can do an entire podcast episode on my night routine, but I will go on an evening walk. I'll grab a nice drink, which is like healthy kombucha typically or a recess drink, which I've been loving those so freaking much. They're hemp drinks. They really calm me down. I share on Instagram. I have a discount code too on Instagram, but it's just the best. Then I cook. I listen to a book club podcast typically. Then I go read for hours on end on my Kindle Oasis. And that's really all I need. So yeah, this is just what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I'm growing up, guys. But anyways, without further ado, let's welcome Brooke on to the podcast. We are very excited. How did you feel about this book, The Vanishing Half by Brett Bennett? I really liked it. I think it took a little while for me to get really into it. It always does for books, you know, like I feel like I need a, I need a solid quarter of it to kind of get invested in the story and even a character introduction and stuff like that. I think she did a great job with it, but you know how books are like you have to set it up. You can't just jump right into the action. Otherwise, it wouldn't make sense. So I definitely felt that after the second half of the book, it got extremely interesting. So I think, you know, you have to like give it a little bit of time to get going. But I, I have a lot to say. <laughs> we always have a lot to say. I agree. You texting me because I Brooke texted me because she read the book before I did and was just saying, oh, my gosh, like there's so much happening in this book right before I'd even started it. So I felt like the beginning was a little bit slow as well. And I, honestly, I was kind of worried. I'm like, oh my gosh, I really hope this is a good pick because I just had all these people read this book. But then it did get really, really interesting. And there was honestly like 15 different storylines as well, but it wasn't super difficult to keep up with. 
but there were a ton of different storylines. Yeah, I wrote that down. I put the timelines at some points confused me, but there was a lot of like bouncing around of different perspectives and stuff. So it, it was confusing, but also kept it interesting. You know what I mean? Because it would switch on. But there was some that I was way more invested in than others. Like we can get into it. But like the whole like Kennedy Jude storyline, I loved way more than like, I don't know. I feel like the adults, maybe it's because we relate to them because we're like closer in age. That's what I, I thought, at least towards the end of the book. In a second, I'll read a little summary for those of you who haven't read it or if you just want a little refresh. But I agree. I was way more invested in Jude and Kennedy than I was in their moms. But yes. I agree. And it also, it almost felt like a little bit of like a YA book, which it wasn't. But it, it felt just like a little bit more of like a, it felt like a lighter read in a sense. But it wasn't. You know what I mean? You mean like in their parts of the book? Yeah. Definitely. It gave it a totally different feel. I mean, there was, like you said, I, I there had to be at least seven storylines going on at once at and least. like different, yeah, di- different characters and like the perspectives of the characters told from different people, you know, how, how one person looked at them versus how other people did. I had to like just go back and flip through the beginning because I feel like it also did a lot of back and forth. It was like, you know, in this year and then in this year and you had to really pay attention to exactly what the year was. It also, I liked that and I totally agree with what you said about when they were switching perspectives because it wasn't one of those books where it would switch every chapter, but it wouldn't have the name on the top like a lot of Mm -hmm. books do. So you would kind of have to figure it out and it was pretty, you you would be able to figure it out within the first page. It wasn't like you were so, so confused, but it definitely, you know, I like normally, actually, I will give it a critique. I, now that I think about it, on one hand, that made me pay attention to the book more, but on the other hand, I kind of wish that they had the names at the top of the chapters, you know? I would agree. I would agree. Um, And the chapters were very confusing in the sense of like they were really long, almost dragged on too long because, yeah, you're right. Then it would switch characters or even switch timelines within the chapter. I noticed at some points it would do that. that part, yes. That would confuse me too. They would just give like a general range of years and then they would just randomly fast forward five years ahead and like skip characters. I was like, what is this? But it it, it made it like, I guess it keeps your brain going because you're like, you have to figure it out. She probably purposely did it. I agree with that. But at the same time, I do appreciate it in the sense that it made me pay attention to it a little bit more. And at the beginning when I wasn't as into the book, it, it pulled me in more because I had to pay attention. You know what I mean? Completely agree. Yeah, you have to be like pretty attentive, I would say, during this book because if you miss like a little section, I mean, that's like all books, but it's, I would say it's it's not necessarily a light read. Yes, I agree. Um, Do you know how to pronounce this twin sister's last name? Oh my gosh, I am so bad at pronunciation. I looked it up and it said Vignette, but I'm just going to refer to them as the twin sisters because I don't want to offend anyone because that's I looked good. it up. So we're just going to say the twin sisters. Okay. So this is the summary. Okay. So the summary, according to bookclubchat.com, the twin sisters will always be identical, but after growing up together in a small Southern black community and running away at age 16, it's not just the shape of their daily lives that is different as adults. It's everything. Their families, their communities, their racial identities. Many years later, one sister lives with her black daughter in the same southern town she once tried to escape. The other secretly passes for white and her white husband knows nothing of her past. Still, even separated by so many miles and just as many lies, the fates of the twins remain intertwined. What will happen to the next generation when their own daughter's storylines intersect? Weaving together multiple strands and generations of this family from the deep south to California from the 1950s to the 1990s, Britt Bennett produces a story that is at once a riveting emotional family story and a brilliant exploration of the American history of passing. Looking well beyond issues of race, The Vanishing Half considers the lasting influence of the past as it shapes a person's 
decisions, desires, and expectations and explore some of the multitude reasons and realms in which people often feel pulled to live as something other than their origins. That was a really good summary, actually, of the book. As someone who just completed the book, I would say that's it. Do you read the summary before you read the book? I'm a really big Goodreads person. So I have a list of books like to be read, but I always I'll read like the bios and stuff before I read. Do you just pick it based off like cover? Not really based off cover. I'm a recommendation person. I think if I'm like book shopping in person, I haven't done that in a while, but I will like read the like little fold on the inside. I also go by like popular books. I'm like bad like that. No, I'll do the same. A lot of them are recommended. There's most books that I read come from a recommendation. That's a really good point. But I like a secret favorite pastime of mine is just going on Goodreads and like looking up books that I want to read and things like that. So I will read the bio. Sometimes things just like don't sound appealing to me, but they end up being my fa- my favorite books. So I kind of hate them at the same time in that sense. You know, it's the same with TV. It's like you think you're going to you think in your head you're going to hate a specific series and then you start and you're like, wow, I really enjoy that. I completely agree. Do you want to share some of your notes before we get into the actual questions? Because you had some great things to add. So first up, well, like we said, we really were drawn to the storylines of Jude and Kennedy. So Jude is Desiree's daughter and Kennedy is Stella's daughter. And the whole beginning of the book, it's really interesting because they are so close. And then all of a sudden, Stella takes off, literally doesn't say anything and just leaves her sister in the dust, essentially. They go, they get these jobs. They both work together at one point, but then Stella left. I think she got fired from her other job. She falls in love with her boss. But then she gets this job, yes, where she she works at a law firm and she got hired because she had really good penmanship, I remember. Falls in love with her boss and she just did, never told the boss like her life story and everything. She And then she takes off and literally just leaves her sister. She just never told her sister she was leaving. Took off, like moved to Boston for a little bit, then moves to California where she has her kid. And that's where Jude and Kennedy met. I'm like giving away the whole storyline. Hopefully no one's like, I don't want to like ruin it for anyone. But I thought a big theme of the book, there's many themes, of course, but one of them I thought was interesting is like the concept of money and how it can't buy happiness because there's a lot of financial differences, I guess, in the the families here. So Desiree had Jude and she went to California on a scholarship. She was on a track scholarship at school and she had to work to pay for rent and to pay for books and to pay for everything. And she was really just like a hardworking gal. And then Stella's daughter, Kennedy, they grew up in like this super bougie. Brentwood. Is that where it was? Yeah, Brentwood. Oh, I didn't know where, but it was like a Hollywood lifestyle, basically. Like the dad's like this big shot lawyer. They have like fancy cars for the time and like a really nice house and everything. And she just runs around. I mean, she they made it sound like she just runs around the city and does whatever the heck she wants, basically, from the time that she's like a teenager on. But then you, it really like breaks it down. And you see as the book gets further and further, like what's on the surface might not be what's reality because you see Desiree, Desiree's Jude's mom, and she works at like the local diner do we want to call it like a diner it's like a breakfast place in their town so seemingly very two different lifestyles but I think that the theme there was like money can't buy happiness because then it's unloaded like you see how deeply Stella like dug herself in this lie and how Kennedy has like a lot of identity struggles I think in herself Um, I think that's why like I related to her because she was kind of like all over the place and like one day she's like I want to be an actress one day she's like I want to you know date this person she's like kind of all over the place so But I saw that theme of money can't buy happiness because Jude and Desiree, well, they might not have that like crazy bougie lifestyle. They have the connection with each other, which is so deep and so meaningful. And they both are in like healthy relationships and they both are so like 
transparent and they just have a lot of like love in their life. It seemed like versus on the other end, it seemed like a lot of that was lacking. And even just the mother daughter relationship was like not really strong. I think about like, what's the point if you lose yourself in the process or what's the point if you gain everything and you lose yourself or you lose everyone around you, you have no one to like celebrate with. Right. So Mm -hmm. from a young age there, they go through a lot of really traumatic Things lots of trauma, lots of trauma regarding race, right? Like being rooted in racial injustices and their father is just murdered out of nowhere. Right. So I, I also feel for Stella because I think that people deal with things differently and how Desiree dealt with things may have been different with Stella. And I think that Stella and they both understand, like they both are like, they're told to stay as light as possible and all these like horrible things. So they're almost taught from a young age to kind of hate who they are. And so that I cannot even imagine like how heavy that is. And then you look at, they finally leave, they disappear from their, they leave their mom at 16, disappear. No one in the town knows where they are. And then Stella ends up leaving Desiree and Stella wasn't even the one who wanted to leave Mallard. Mm -hmm. Then you look at, you look at that and it's like she just kind of kept going. And I think it was almost like she was always running from Mallard as far away as she possibly could to the point where she was white passing and she everyone thought she was white. Like, I think that when she was hired, they just assumed. I don't think that she went in trying. And I think it had to do with her penmanship or something like that. Too. It was it was accidental. Like she was just like, I'm going to try for this. But she f- always felt like an imposter. And then one day just stuck. It just happened. She almost like convinces herself that her past like isn't real, which I definitely agree. I mean, that's due to a lot of her traumas and stuff like that. And you're so right that Desiree and Stella just dealt with the traumas of their childhood very differently. So I definitely I feel for her in a lot of ways completely. But I was thinking about imagining a time like before technology that you could literally reinvent yourself and not be found like this just would Insane. never happen in this day and age like she completely changed her identity she just d- never talks about her past uh her husband Blake was like tell me about your family and she's like I have none they're all that's they're all the dead. craziest part to me like there's, what no so crazy there's actually a question related to what you were saying that I want to ask so it says Stella thinks that becoming a white person means an easier life maybe it is as far as money due to Blake's job but she's never quite herself Desiree dealt with horrible abuse, but when she gets away, she's content with early and loves her daughter. Do you think Desiree ended up having the better life? Yes. I think that she's just way more sure of herself. She's around her mom, who she loves so much. Uh, She has this great guy in her life, like a really stable guy who really, really loves her. Such a positive, open relationship with her daughter. And just it seems like, in my opinion, like her life is way more simple. There's no lies. There's no sneakiness. It's just full transparency all around. And it just seems like that's a more, in my opinion, healthy way to live than, you know, digging away all of your problems and trying to hide them. And like, I just feel like she seems like she's a happier person. So yeah, I would, wouldn't you want to be happier? It may differ on what people equate with happiness, but personally Mm -hmm. for me, I think that Desiree ended up with the better life at the end of it. Like Stella's daughter won't even talk to her at some, at one point. Right. So it's like she's run so far. And again, like I can't begin to imagine like or act like I know what that feels like or anything with how totally she's trying to completely change her like her racial identity. However, I do think just in the book, it's really evident that Desiree is happier and more fulfilled and has meaningful relationships. Like you think about, I mean, how many times do people ruin just a dating relationship, a simple dating relationship because they haven't dealt with their emotions from the past? 
of whatever that might be. And then you think about, okay, she's never dealt with that. And how are you able to actually have like a meaningful relationship with someone when you are living as a complete false identity? You know what I mean? It's like, do you, does she really love him or does she just love what he offers? And like, does he love her? Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's so tricky. There's no way he could truly love her because he doesn't even know who she is. You know, she's she like morphed her whole life. I do believe that she really truly loves him. I definitely believe that. And I I believe that he loves this version of her. But I wonder if they if there was like a sequel or something like that and like the truth ever was revealed. I was hoping that they were going to go in that direction in the book, but I feel like it would have covered a little bit too much. What do you think? Yeah, I would have personally because I'm nosy. I would have loved for her to eventually share with her husband, Blake, like what happened. And eventually she does share with Kennedy. So Mm -hmm. that's great. But then she tells Kennedy, then Kennedy has to carry this secret, which I don't know if that's something that's heavy for her or she just doesn't care. It kind of seems like she maybe wouldn't care because she just wanted to know. But it's definitely like, I can't even imagine, like think about it. Okay, think about it being Kennedy and you know nothing about your mom as two people who are very close with our moms, right? You know nothing about your mom and then someone shows up. We'll get into this. I'm going to all ask questions more in a chronological way. I cannot even imagine like, how that has to feel as a child when like essentially your mom has lied to you your entire life. It showed kind of almost from the beginning that they had a bit of a broken relationship and it was broken because the trust was never fully there because there was no real transparency or so it felt. And once again, completely agree with you, Kenzie. Like I can't imagine to feel these ways or whatever it is because I truly can't imagine what these situations are like. So I think it's interesting to read about stories and things like that I have never experienced because I think it opens your eyes to many new things. Yeah, I totally agree. I think this is a really good read, especially for 2020. Okay, (laughs) the next question. This story starts off with Desiree returning home to Mallard, Louisiana after running away at age 16 with her twin sister, Stella. In many ways, the town is another character to the story. Let's talk about this and the impact of the town on both the twins and Desiree's daughter, Jude. Also, I want to say Desiree and Stella's father is murdered by white men in a horrific crime that sees no justice. And so obviously this tragedy, we've kind of touched on this, has affected the sisters in different ways. Bigger question, do you think that they would hate Mallard had there not been so much trauma in their lives there? Or do you think that, like, do you think that them hating Mallard is a result of the trauma that happened there? Or do you think that them hating Mallard is just that they hate Mallard in general? I think it's definitely, yeah, due to the the trauma and just the structure of the town overall and the colorism that exists in the yes. town, which is absolutely crazy. Just the the explanation of that all in the beginning of the book obviously um, comes to fruition with the horrific murder of their father, which they go into detail about in the book. And it was just absolutely crazy. The book basically describes it as it just sounds like a very hateful place. And it sounds like there's a lot of flaws. But for some reason, Desiree comes back and she's welcomed with open arms. So it seems like she really even though they left and they left so quickly and everything, it seemed like when she came back, she was welcomed back into the community so easily. And it almost was like she never left. Did you kind of get that vibe too? Yes. And maybe it's that small town feel because Mallard is technically at some point, it's it was never even recognized as its own town because it was so small. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. It was just more, they were explaining it almost as like a village or just a community of people. So it was interesting, too, because I'm like, I wonder if Mallard is one of those places that we would actually hate or if it's just associated as the reader hates it and thinks it's this awful place because of what happened to them. Because later when she goes back, Desiree is, it does feel like, welcome back with open arms. But ultimately, she does end up leaving. So I think that 
what happened there was enough for them to really need to get out. But she ended up having to ironically like escape back to Mallard because she was leaving an abusive marriage. So at the same time, it ends up being this kind of safe place for her because then she meets early and early ends up being her next partner who she had seen when she was like, I think, I believe really young before 16 or something. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I think it was a summer before they escaped. Um, But early is like, I don't know what to call him. He's not like a hitman, but like he. Yeah. He says he goes hunting. That's like his thing. He goes hunting for people. Yes. But he doesn't kill them though. No. And he doesn't normally do relationship things, but someone reaches out, which is actually Desiree's husband that she's leaving. And he reaches out to early for early to find her. Right. And Mm -hmm. so when early hears the name, he's like, oh my gosh. And I believe immediately he's like, I'm protecting her. Then he finds her in Mallard. They just run into each other and he convinces the husband that he can't find her. There's nowhere to find her. She's not in Mallard, even though the husband's like, there's nowhere else she would have gone. But he ends up essentially kind of saving her life by lying. And then he kind of sets up a few other things to where they'll never come looking for her in Mallard. So then Mallard ends up becoming this safe place for her, which is even weirder. I don't even know how they did that, because wouldn't you think that the ex-husband would just go to Mallard and yes. be like, I'm sure she's in her old hometown with her mom. I don't know how early did that all and somehow made it so that he never bothered. That was like a only in the beginning of the book. You never hear from that guy again. And he is Jude's father, but she doesn't even have a relationship with him. Early is her father, essentially, even though they aren't married. Early ended up keeping up with the ex-husband as well and never told Desiree. Because I remember at some point he meant it's mentioned that he ended up moving to another city and got married and had kids. So then the ex-husband ends up having a new family. It's really briefly mentioned. It's that like he's mm. never really a part of the book after. But it's very like from the get-go, early is almost like always Desiree's protector. Yeah, I definitely felt that. Uh, but she needed a figure like that, I think, in her life, especially after all of the trauma that she has been through. Yeah. And it's really nice that she found someone, like I said, that she could be so transparent and open with, which is the contrast between her relationship with early and and then Stella and Blake's relationship, which is seemingly the complete contrast. Yes. So weird. OK, I have a lot of questions about Blake. First off, okay, so how do you think Stella was able to hide the fact that she's black for so long? How do you think she was able to conceal it from Blake? Do you think she will ever tell him the truth? I had a lot of questions on this in the book, too. And I kind of wish it went into more detail on that from a curiosity perspective, because it's kind of just like, yeah, she she hid the she hid the fact that she was actually black. I would have loved a little more detail there of, you know, what does that exactly entail? I think you already hit on it, though, when you said you know, that's the world before social media and like the Mm. internet, right? So there's no trace online of like who she was before because it's before those times. So if you're going to like completely, if you're already someone who could like pass for white, right? And you're going to completely change your entire identity and say your family died and all this stuff and just kind of like almost like study what she thinks like the white woman is, right? Mm -hmm. That's oh, I've read crazy. that at one point. She said she watched all the like soap operas or whatever it was. Yeah. So I guess that she learned like the dialect because she returned home to her sister and her and her sister just had a completely different dialect. Like she was like, why are you saying this like this? Um, Desiree yeah. was asking Stella and Stella was like, I picked up an entire like new way of speaking and everything. Like I taught myself 
which I thought was all really interesting. But I, I would have liked even a little more. I totally agree. Before social media, you don't you could hide literally everything in your life, which is so wild. Like she could just say, yeah, I'm from this town and he would never think to do any sort of research to confirm that fact. I don't even know how you would do that. But he he just married someone that he met and just didn't know about her life prior, I guess. Also, like it kind of paints Blake out in this light of like he doesn't really care but at the same time, if someone tells you this, you're not going to press. But he was her boss. He was older than her. It's mentioned. He's very wealthy. So at the same time, he could be one of those men where, you know, her whole life immediately revolves around him. She doesn't have anyone else. And that can appeal in like really unhealthy relationships. Not that I not that we were even told that their marriage was unhealthy or anything like that. I just seemed like so secretive. Like, that's just so bizarre. I can't imagine not telling your life partner such a big thing about you, you know, but also I can't imagine feeling like I would need to do that. And that is what is like so heartbreaking that she lives with that every day. And it's Mm -hmm. interesting to see how Desiree handled things versus how Stella handled things. Yeah, their relationship, it didn't seem like it was the best, but it also didn't seem like it was the worst. He really wanted her to have her life revolve around him. So I think he was willing, like whatever, she was willing to move to Boston and be a secretary. Like literally her whole world was him. She had no friends or whatever. And even when they moved to LA, she barely had friends. And when she started to make friends, he had problems with that. When she started to go to night classes and she wanted to study to become oh, a professor, so right. he had yes. problems with that. He was like, you, you can't be a wife and like a partner then. And she was like, why can't I do both? I sit around and do nothing all day indicators that it was unhealthy I guess there was never any outright no it's clear that it's unhealthy I totally forgot about these very vital points <laughs> of the book no it's clear that it was an unhealthy thing but I think that that's why they they almost like worked well together in his eyes in the beginning she was okay to be that person and that I mean I would imagine you'd get bored after like year one but I guess she had a kid to take care of but then as her daughter got older and they had a more strange relationship she didn't have as much to give in that sense so she started to do her own thing. That's just what he pictured, though, of his life. I don't. And they kind of got went into it a little bit that he had a fiance before. He wanted someone who's like attractive to be his secretary. Do you remember that? Like they're like, oh, they'll love he'll love you because like you're young and pretty and stuff. It's like, well, that would just never fly in a world like today. Okay, moving on to Jude and Kennedy, our favorite part of the book. So Jude is Desiree's daughter and Kennedy is Stella's daughter. So when um, Desiree goes back to Mallard, she already has Jude. So Jude ends up being raised in Mallard. Okay. Jude is bullied in Mallard and they tore down her confidence, but she gets a scholarship to UCLA and she eventually flourishes. Let's talk about Jude's character development in the story. Reese, who she meets, like this is like her long-term boyfriend in the book that she meets at this, like the first night of the party. And you could even see her confidence when she first meets him. Like he called her over, I think. And she was like really like shy and reserved. And they even have a lot of conversations about that. Like, why are you that way? And like, why, you know, and you definitely see her confidence build because she's thriving. She's like a track star, superstar scholar. She's like decides to go to med school. I mean, you could tell she definitely like had it together in high school and everything too. Obviously she was like a super hardworking girl even though she went through so much hardship, bullying and hate she went through due to the way she looks, which I can't imagine that is absolutely horrible. But I think that the move to LA like changed her life, truly. With Jude, so they were always told to marry like, quote, light-skinned men. That's what they were told to do. Desiree didn't do that. And so they, Jude was like really not accepted. Like that's the first thing her grandmother either says or thinks. Like, yes, she's upset about that. And it's so absolutely bizarre but like not even shocking, unfortunately. And so Jude is put through 
so much in Mallard because she's what they deem as like unacceptable or not as worthy or whatever that might be. And so she has all of that. And then her confidence is so torn and she's kind of going through the whole Mallard thing, which her mother and her aunt would have gone through. Right. So she gets the scholarship to UCLA and she really flourishes. And then she meets Reese, the love of her life. Okay, let's talk about their romance and how they bond through their traumatic past. So Reese is actually was transgender. I said was because it's like 1950s as if like these characters were real human beings and have like passed away since. <laughs> That's what it feels like. I don't even remember how they originally met. Actually, I'm blinking. Do you they remember? were at a part. Yeah, they were at like a small party. And she says that she like noticed him because he was like really handsome or whatever. And I think he called her over. I remember there was a part where like offered her a drink or something like that. So they met at basically like her first night out. But he didn't go to school there. It was like through a mutual friend. She didn't really hang out with like other students. It seemed like all of her friends were kind of like just L.A. people. He was a f- he's a few years older. Reese yeah. was. It was so interesting hearing like his journey because he I don't I think he originally starts in like El Paso or something like he's like yeah seven he, hours oh, away like, uh-huh. like literally so far away from me in Texas but he ends up on his way to LA which just doesn't make sense because geographically it makes no sense he ends up in Plano at one point and that's one town over from like my hometown McKinney like I literally will go oh. to Plano today but he goes to Plano and I don't remember exactly what it was but it was for something positive with regarding transgender like transformation of some sort it was I believe it was something positive I could be blanking which would make sense to go to like Plano for that rather than South Texas but anyways he ends up moving to LA and then I feel like at that point where Jude went from having not even enough confidence for herself she ends up moving to LA gains all this confidence really flourishes and then that's like kind of Reese almost like benefits from that overflow in her life because they end up one really bonding really understanding like each other Jude is just like so caring like she wants to or she ends up actually she doesn't even want to she ends up getting a job to support him because the surgery was like three thousand dollars and especially at that time so expensive so she's just very selfless like she wants they really just truly want the best for each other, I think. Yeah. And they really want a similar theme here. They had like such an open relationship with each other and both sharing their past with each other. And I think that's why they had such a solid relationship. It seems like the a big theme in this book is like trust and like openness too. I ship them. Like I really am a big fan of that, that relationship. They're a very healthy relationship too. They like barely fight. There was like one instance where there's like no communication back then too. Like she would just get home late some nights and he would be like, oh, you're home like three hours late. It's like you forget that that's just how the world was versus now it's like, oh, he's not texting me back. Like what yeah. a crazy world. Like you have like. access to someone 24 seven. Their one argument that I remember is that she like walked in on him when he was like unwrapping himself in the bathroom. Oh, yes. And I think that was just too intimate for him. And so he mm-hmm. lashed out on her and she felt so guilty but they ended up being fine. And then she ends up going to med, med school because she's brilliant. And he moves with her, which you find out later on in the book. So I thought that was really cool and just really supportive. I also love how Desiree, the mom, loves their relationship, too. And like she's a huge supporter of it. Like they were always just dating. And then like they there was kind of talks because I'm I, who what well, well, was like the whole like birth certificate thing, I guess, because they couldn't yeah. legally because this was like the later 60s at this point, maybe 70s. It might have even been further, but. 
the laws, um, unfortunately, I guess, didn't permit for. Well, I think he could have gotten a new birth certificate because it sounded like that. Maybe I read that wrong. But basically, he just wanted an official birth certificate that he felt represented her or represented him before he married her. Gotcha. So, okay, maybe that's what it was. Okay, that's I was what confused. I, got. I was like, what? What's the holdup here? But that makes because sense. The mom, Desiree, would always push marriage on them, and she's like, mm-hmm. "You guys have that's been what together long enough." And I just don't know if she was ever told. Like, I, I actually don't know if she ever knew. Kennedy definitely didn't know because. Later on, they go to New York. Kennedy's living in New York. And then Reese gets his surgery. And Kennedy definitely doesn't know what it's for. Jude was like, it's not life threatening. He's just getting a surgery done. And then Kennedy like goes and she's she didn't even ask, which I thought was interesting because she's a very nosy person. So I'm surprised she didn't like push for that. I think even though she treats Jude pretty poorly, she has respect for her in the same sense. But also circling back to what you said about like how you see the parallels of like trust being a big theme in this mm-hmm. book. I also think it's almost like a generational thing. And you look at kids who like I'm divorced, like I'm not divorced. My parents are divorced. And like everyone's like, if you're if you are from a family of divorce, you're like 50 times more likely to get divorced, something like that. Right. And you look at people whose parents have like a really not that like I don't feel like this affects me personally, but that's because I've been around a lot of healthy marriages. But you see the benefits that are reaped when you see your parents being like transparent and fully themselves and in a healthy relationship. And then Jude and Reese have that. Right. And then you look at Stella and Blake and then like their daughter Kennedy. And that doesn't really, it kind of like mirrors that almost in a way. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Cause then you see her, like I said, she's struggling with like identity themes kind of throughout the whole book. It's kind of like she, so we could go to Kennedy, I guess, because she's like an actress, which I thought was so, so stereotypical LA. Like she's like, she's, so she starts off the way that Jude and Kennedy bump into each other, which is pretty crazy at their first meeting. I didn't realize it. I think it took like for, for me the second meeting because they did, we didn't go into like the backstory of the, the they Blake don't and straight Stella up stuff say yet. it at first. So you, yeah, that would be right. So they bumped into each other at Jude was picking up catering gigs to earn like to get some extra money so that they could pay for Reese's surgery. Well, she Reese didn't like tell her to do that. She was like you said, Kenzie, at the kindness of her own heart, decided to do this. And she didn't even tell him. She's like, I'm going to like pick up some extra shifts at work or whatever. But she was putting all the money aside to like help him pay for his surgery, which is just what a selfless gal. We love her. What a selfless gal. But she definitely chooses the job to be in the same vicinity as Kennedy. But then they bump into each other at a catering. Uh, she bumps into Ken- Kennedy comes up to her and is like, give me like alcohol. She was like a bartender. Jude gives her the drink, whatever. She was like, I'll never see her again. But she remembers how like crazy her life was or something. I remember it was like noted. It was like how glam she seemed or something. I don't know. Yeah. I- and she had seen Stella, right? Because that's when she drops the glass. Oh, yeah. She's yes. She saw someone that she could have sworn with Stella, but it was never confirmed and they never said her name or anything. Uh, but then she happens to again go to her friends. So then like months later, she her friend is in a play. She's like going afterwards to like see him. And she runs into Kennedy, who is the star of the show. I think that she just decided then like I'm going to stick around her because I wonder if she knows Stella. Like it was all based on like context clues at that point. It was never confirmed like Stella was her mom. Well, she ends up finally saying that my mom is from Mallard. Have you ever heard of it or something? Oh, yes. And then she was like, I'm going to stick around. So then then Jude like gets jobs at the theater that Kennedy is like performing at to purposely stay around her. And the two of them become really close. And Jude waits until literally like the last night to be like, oh my gosh, this was a crazy part of the book. That's like when things really started to heat up when Jude finally sees Stella and has a conversation with her. And then Stella runs out of the theater. Like Kennedy's problem is and has always been identity. And it's so interesting because she's the daughter of Stella, who's 
dealt with her identity in the most detrimental to herself way. Right. So it's like you think as well, like almost it's like I see trust and I see all these things, but I also see like how certain things are passed down to you from your parents. Totally. You know, Okay, let's talk about the meeting with Stella arrives at the last show. And then what happened? Jude ends up going outside to talk to her. That's what it was. Yes. She does not take it well at all. Well, Stella and Kennedy had this whole big thing because Stella did like this, took it like an off-Broadway production essentially, but it was really just like a local play basically. So she dropped out. Kennedy drops out of college. They bribed. It was like, they literally like bribed her to get into this college. They basically said that. They like made a large donation to get her into this college that she ends up because she was never like- yeah, yeah quite literally she was never very bright they like made yeah. the whole point like she shouldn't have gotten into this college but she ended up doing that anyways and she uh does this play and the her parents are never really supportive but stella decides to show up the lat the very last night that the show is running to go see her and like surprises her daughter doesn't say she's going at intermission jude is working in the theater and jude sees stella and she like approaches her and like really ambushes her I mean like Stella was probably not expecting that in the slightest and this whole time she realizes that she's found Stella she knows that early has gone on so many road trips trying to find Stella over the years like she her mother has always been open with her and she doesn't tell her mom which is interesting but I think she also doesn't want to like break her mom's heart because she Uh realizes that she wants nothing so in her defense I think I think it ends up being a little bit of a break of trust but I think it's more understandable because She did it to protect her mom. She did it to protect her mom. Another thing I wanted to talk about was Loretta, which was the neighbor across the street. Oh, yes. So they have essentially like an HOA meeting in their rich Brentwood neighborhood. Right. Mm -hmm. And so all the neighbors are around and they say, oh, there's a black family moving into the neighborhood. Like they're all like, God forbid, blah, blah, blah. Horrible about it. Right. But who causes the biggest scene of all? They were all. Yeah. Crazy. (laughs) So. She says they're going to let anything pass. Something on those lines, like what's going to happen next? And she had always yeah. been very timid before. So people were really kind of caught off guard that she'd even said something. She caused a whole scene. She like stands up. She starts like yelling and screaming. And like Blake afterwards was like, I've never seen you act like that. Like it was a whole big deal. Yeah. And it was like very clear that he was too racist, but I don't think he would have acted in that regard. So he was kind of surprised by the way that she would like speak of a group of people And that also shows like internalized racism and all this Mm -hmm. like hatred that people have. There's this whole like pick me thing. And like, even though they don't know and they think she is white, like it's just so sad. But also I think even over that, I think she's just terrified that somehow she just thinks like they're just going to see me and know. Oh, she thinks. Yep. That's what she thinks. That's why she's convinced first. So then the neighbors do move in and it's it's a black family, which is the first one that like this was an all white community. Let it be known that this is a very, like you said, Brentwood, like very wealthy, affluent community. So it happens to be that the they were a family of actors as well. Right. Like they were like in mainstream media. They were like celebrities, essentially the black family. So Loretta is is the neighbor. But Stella, like hides from her at first like Loretta would always be nice and be like hey what's up and Stella would like not look at her and like they caused a few scenes I, I forget how they first became friends Stella was kind of spying on her almost and would like keep up but she wouldn't let her know that they end up becoming friends somehow and they spend a lot of time together Loretta reminds Stella of Desiree so she finds a lot of comfort in the friendship and she hates to admit it she's lying to her husband she's sneaking around when he's off at work hanging out with her And then finally, I think it was on Christmas or around Christmas. It was at their party. It was at their party that one of the neighbors brought it up and said, hey, I've heard 
it's funny, like you were so anti this family moving in because of racism. And now you're spending all this time with them. Like, what's up? And Blake, the husband, was like completely caught off guard. He was like, I thought that you hated them. I thought you had something against this woman. Like, whatever it was, it caused a whole blow up. She like left the party. Neighborhood turned hateful on their house. They started like vandalizing their their house, Loretta's family's home. They would like throw rocks at it, right? They kicked them out of the neighborhood, essentially. Like they ended up having to move. By force. It was like dangerous. One of the, oh, the child was like playing in the room and they threw um, a brick Horrible. or something through the window and like, thank gosh the child was okay. But it, it was like a whole big scene. They be, Yeah, they basically forced them out of the neighborhood. No, Kennedy ends up saying, I don't remember what Loretta's child's oh, yes, name was. Yes. She ends up calling her the N-word. And- at first, like Stella shows a little bit of embarrassment and like she feels bad, but then she's just like kind of nurturing to Kennedy, which was like so interesting. And you see at the same time that like what the point with Loretta that I see is that it doesn't matter how far Stella runs, like your home never really leaves you. So she wants mm-hmm. the comfort of Loretta. And then because that reminds her of her sister, whether yep. she thinks she wants to be with her sister or not. And so that was really interesting. And then finally, Loretta is done with her. But do you think had their friendship not ended so abruptly, do you think she would have ever told Loretta the truth? There was a little indication there that she was like, I wish I could tell her the truth, whatever. I think we all know how that would have ended and how that would have immediately blown up her life. And like I said, I think that would just be such an interesting storyline, her confessing to Blake or even just people in the community finding out, because I think that would just be a whole nother we could write a whole nother book on that i wonder if she's considering a sequel but i do think that she said it she said loretta was the first true friend she's had since she left her sister like how sad is that she went 15 years without having a true friend or whatever it was something ridiculous mind blown by that like so she really is just living this life that is completely surrounded by this man and based on nothing Stella really actually is a victim in this book, right? Like Mm -hmm. she may have dealt with it in a way where you're like, oh, why are you running from yourself? Whatever. But like also it's easy to say that when you don't understand, right? So Mm -hmm. Stella is the victim, Desiree and Stella. Like they're victims in this book. Like Stella has been pushed to live this life and she's just kind of trying to stay afloat. So she's created this whole false identity for herself. She tells Jude to leave her alone. Kennedy finally goes to her mom and is like, this girl said this about you. And she basically is like, you know, people know that we're wealthy. She's just trying to get money out of us. Like, ignore her. And then a few years later, Kennedy ends up moving to New York. And then Stella ends up going to New York for Reese's surgery. And they meet up and she gives her, this is when she gives her the picture, right? Of their moms at their father's funeral. Yeah, I think it's their mom's and the grandma. And she was like, that's your mom and that's my mom, whatever. And I think Kenny believed it all along. It gets a little hard when you're, she brought it up to her mom and her mom would deny it. So she'd be like, I half believe it. But then they rekindle their friendship in a way that they really get it going again. Oh, and at this point, Kennedy is dating a black man. That was like a whole storyline too, because she was living in New York, dating him, whatever. And he made comments like, I didn't know you had other black friends because- she like finally she brought basically Kennedy introduced her boyfriend to Jude and to Reese like while they were all in town after that they like all met up and that was like a whole storyline too which I thought was it was an interesting choice I guess from the author to to go that route but it showed a lot of like parallels I guess okay I want to talk a little bit about let's talk a little bit more about Jude and Kennedy's relationship and dynamic why do you think they end up staying in touch after everything is said and done so Kennedy is very disrespectful and entitled And that's just a result of her upbringing, right? So, but what's interesting, she doesn't really seem to care about anyone with, even though like 
they're not talking every day. I just get this sense of respect that Kennedy has for Jude, whether she wants to admit it or not. And there's some draw there. And they both are kind of annoyed with each other. It's not even like they treat each other necessarily like family, but there's just this like understanding almost. Yeah, it seems like Kennedy is really a selfish person, but she does have like room in her life for Jude. And at first, Kennedy is so shut off and Jude like leaves her her phone number and is like, hey, like if you ever want to like connect, like call me or whatever. And I think Kennedy like broke down one. It took like years for her to finally call. Isn't that what it was? It, it took a little bit. Yeah. But then they and then they finally got a relationship going. To a point that even when their grandmother passed away, who Kennedy had never met, but she's very much so her grandmother, Jude called her and said like, hey, our, our grandma, who was, I think her name was Adele, passed away. Yeah. And Kennedy was like, I never even got to meet her, like whatever it was. So they st- kept in touch, even though Stella was removed from the family, if that makes sense. Like Stella had voluntarily removed herself, but at least she was getting information and stuff. She might not be like completely connected, I guess. Kind of left off at like a vague point with her because I think she moved back to LA and she did re- kind of connect with her mom and her mom actually did like you said eventually confess everything and say like all right I'll tell you about you know my upbringing and like where I come from and all that stuff uh, but you can't tell your dad so well what we failed to mention though is that Kennedy stopped talking to her mom because she wouldn't tell her the truth about the photo and she was tired of it so oh, finally, yes, yes, yes. Stella ends up going back to Mallard but to beg the family to stop talking to Kennedy. Like mm-hmm. she wants to beg Desiree to tell Jude to stop talking to Kennedy because that's what she thinks is going to fix her family. And they kind of catch up. Stella leaves at night unannounced, like in Stella fashion. She literally came back for like a few hours. It felt, yeah. it was not doesn't even- stay long at all. Literally she just does, doesn't care, I guess. But I think she's just so afraid of getting caught. Like she spent her whole life building this, right? Like whether mm-hmm. you agree with it or not, you know, she spent her whole life building this lie. So like for her, for this lie to crumble, it really is like her entire life crumbles. So then finally, when Kennedy decides to move back to LA, she picks her up. It's so funny because she picks her up from the traffic LA and they're like the 14 miles to Brentwood was enough. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I know the drive. And then that's where Stella tells her everything finally. But she says, you can't tell your dad. So it's almost like you look at even the title of the book, like The Vanishing Half, and it's like, yes, The Vanishing Half, The Vanishing Sister, like Stella up and vanished, both of them vanished at one point, but also like Stella has like half of herself that just doesn't even exist. You know what I mean? And that's mm-hmm. so crazy. Like she lives like that. And I don't know, it doesn't ever tell you. She tells her husband, Desiree and Early finally moved to Houston. They leave Mallard after like their mother Adele passes away or Desiree's mother Adele passes away. And so you're left off on finally Desiree with Early moves to Houston and Stella finally tells like the ha- the truth to Kennedy, but not her husband. I feel for Kennedy, I guess, in that regard, too, because now she has to carry this and like live with it, but she can't talk about it with anybody else except for her mom. It's just this is why openness is important, but I do I can't imagine to be Stella and to feel those feelings. So I, I I agree with you, Kenzie, especially after this conversation, I have a lot more sympathy for Stella because I think when you're reading the book, it's really easy to get frustrated and be like, why is she doing this? Like, oh my gosh, she's ruining everything. But then you have to think back to like the deep rooted like psychology and feelings that she has felt and what a hardship that she has gone through, which I can't even begin to imagine the trauma. And then when she tells Kennedy this and says, you can't tell anyone, you can't tell your father. It's almost like, you know, at that point, that is part of Kennedy's identity that she never knew either. Mm -hmm. So now she's asking Kennedy to keep this secret that's not even just about Stella, 
like Kennedy Estella's daughter. So it's also about Kennedy. Like she, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So it's like, I think the problem has always, it's just identity. Obviously in this case, it's racially, which ends up becoming like in every other aspect of their life Mm because she's created this false identity in order to run from it. So like the idea is like, at the end of it, when people are like, do you think Desiree is happier or do you think Stella is happier? And you look at it as like Stella is this quote unquote white woman who's wealthy. And then you look at it as Desiree, you know, lives in this small town that she hated, had this like smaller job, wasn't as big of a deal. But she had like the health in her relationships in at the end of the day, Stella was really left isolated, you know? So it's like if I'm going to choose to be either one of them, I would choose Desiree. But I also think that Stella is really a victim of racism in this case and that she's run. She's she didn't run because she wanted to. Like she ran because people were treating her this way. Her father was murdered, like all these things. And that's what she chose. So I have a lot of sympathy for Stella. Not that I could ever understand what she's going through, but I recognize like I can I recognize I can never understand that, you know, completely. I completely agree. I recognize I can never understand how to process those things. And I honestly, the more and more we talk about it, I don't think that necessarily Stella intended for it to go this far. You know, I think obviously she knew what she was signing up for and everything, but it all sounds well and good when you have like a rich guy who's like, oh, don't worry, like I'll take care of you. And she just got so swept away and it was just and then it was years and years and then it just got too late. She did all of this work and trying to create this whole new identity for herself. But I feel like in the beginning, it kind of happened like it's not like she went into that job and was like, I'm going to like find a husband and get like swept away. You know, she was just but realistically, that was the only way she would be able to get out because any tie to Desiree would be somehow a tie to Mallard. Uh, Can you imagine how crazy it is for Kennedy to like think that she has no family on that side. And then all of a sudden she has like an aunt and cousins and like a grandma like that. That to me is crazy. No, it's so crazy. And even in the sense of like, she's not really able to have like the relationships with them that she would anyways. I don't know. Okay. Last question. If you could change or critique the ending in any sort of way, like what is one thing that you would change or one thing that you would want to know? Said it. I want Blake to know the truth. I want, I want that whole storyline. Stella planned a whole trip and went to Mallard while Blake was away too. But, and yeah, I guess technology wasn't a piece there or anything yet, but I feel like that could have been a situation where she could have been caught. Don't you feel like that too? If it was like receipts or whatever it was, like, why were you traveling? You know, where'd you go? So I feel like there's potential there. What do you think? I think I would have loved to see like Stella and Desiree, like actually rebuild a relationship, especially after their mom dies. Cause it's like normally death will bring people together mm-hmm. or it'll drive people apart. It does one of the two. Right. So I wish that I would have been able to see them have the relationship because I know that Desiree really, really wanted it. And mm-hmm. I don't think that Stella, I think Stella has love for Desiree, but she has unfortunately loved herself in her new identity. And like, honestly, the idea of this life she could have that really happened by chance. It was like one small decision at a time that led to this whole big lie. And she loved that more than she cared about Desiree, which like, I feel like Desiree was always like, when you're twins, especially, it's like, we're a package deal. This is like, a, we're, you know what I mean? Like, you're so close. You're literally in the womb together. So I think that that was like Desiree's biggest heartbreak. And she always talked about it and always really wanted Stella in her life. And then when Stella finally comes back, she ends up not even coming back just to see see Desiree. Mm -hmm. She ends up coming back to beg her to leave her alone. And I think that that was kind of like maybe not Stella's biggest fear because like obviously she could have died over that time too. But I think that that was also like another heartbreak in Desiree's life of like tragedy. But she ends up happier because she ended up continuing on 
and not faking a whole identity and all this these lies because she ends up having like the relationships you know there was even a lot of character development in the book from a lot of these like we we said even like jude going from being like shy and like more insecure to like really coming into herself i feel like there's more that can be done with all of those relationships specifically the four girls what a great book though i definitely really enjoyed it i would recommend anyways brooke Thank you for being our guest for the month. Oh my god! Loved reading along with you. Me too. It was so fun, right? Yeah, I am a huge fan of this book club idea. I think it's great that you're doing it. Don't you feel very mature? I do. I feel like it gets you to not only read, which is so great. And like, it's nice to kind of be accountable for reading something. Because otherwise, like, I feel like books just sit on your nightstand and you're like, yeah, I'll read it. Yeah, I'll read it. But this, it's like, I have a timeline that I have to read it by. And it gets you talking about it, like socializing right now. I know. So fun. Okay. So where can they find you? I'm at Brooke Michio. M-I-C-C-I-O is the last name. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. My vlogs are same name, Brooke Michio. And I have a podcast too with my friend Danielle. Gals on the go every Wednesday. We do new episodes. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you guys did, let me know by subscribing and giving a nice rating and review. I love you guys so much. Stay tuned for our next book club pick. I hope you guys have been really enjoying these. I'll have Brooke's info down below in the show notes. I love you guys so much and I will talk to you guys on Thursday.